kiss. Oh my goodness, one of the great games came for this moment to play with Mark Few. Chance to win a championship and wow, impressive. Well, Jim, I love in front of us all these kids actually. And that's how our Saturday night went in the NCAA March Madness Tournament. Hello and welcome to Up Tempo Sports 24 7. I am your host, Coach P. And yes, Gonzaga pulled a miracle out of the hat on Saturday night as they had a battle for the ages in. NCAA history with UCLA. Freshman sensation Jalen Suggs scored only 16 points. But of those 16, three of them will go down in NCAA history, and that is the half court shot. Not heave, but actual shot that Jalen was able to get off in overtime against the UCLA Bruins and sent his Gonzaga Bulldogs into Monday night's championship against Baylor, who destroyed Houston earlier in the day. Let's talk about this shot before we go into what happened on Monday night's championship. What a battle. Jalen Suggs, if you had not seen him play this season, I have been talking about him since the beginning of this season. If you didn't see this young man play, you'll see him on the next level in the NBA because he will be a one and dunner. He will be a top five pick in the upcoming NBA draft this summer. No question about it. And if he wasn't going to be this shot and his play in this game solidified his position. The young man had the block of the game. He had the pass of the game and he ended up with the shot of the game. He had the triple threat. He blocked uh, what appeared to be a layup that UCLA would have taken a lead on in this game. He got the rebound, took off after the block, and then he made a dime pass. It looked like a Jason Kidd or Magic Johnson pass to his big man, Drew Timmy, for a layup. Unbelievable. If if you don't go and watch anything else in this game, you have to go back and watch the last few minutes of this game and the overtime. Because what this young man did was put, as a freshman, he put this team on his back. He willed them, along with... Drew Timmy, who took an all-important charge at the end of regulation when we thought that we didn't know what the call was going to be made. Johnny Jusak, who was outstanding, not only in this game, but in this tournament for UCLA, was a scoring, a one-man scoring machine. He is the reason why UCLA got to this point, because he was just unstoppable. And if you want to talk about somebody's stock rising, this young man's stock has risen. He was, remember, at Kentucky coming off the bench. And if I'm not mistaken, I think he was averaging about 11 or, points, 11 or 12 points coming off the bench for Coach Calipari. I'm sure Coach Calipari could have used him this season because he has just been on a scoring tear since the beginning of this tournament. 
in the closing seconds of regulation, he attacked the basket. Timmy, with four fouls for Gonzaga, stood in and took a charge. A lot of people said, wow, can't believe he took that. Yeah, it took a lot of kahunas to take that charge at that time of the game because it was the closing seconds of regulation. If that call is called a block, not only would Jusek be at the line for two free throws with an opportunity to win this game in regulation, but then Drew Timmy would have fouled out. But I want to give a congratulatory tip of the hat to the referees in this game because they allowed the players to decide the outcome. And I'm not saying as if the call that they made on the charge was the incorrect call, but we've seen so many times when referees are quick with the whistle to make a call and not look at it in its entirety. And in this particular play, the correct call was made. Timmy had established position, and it was an outstanding non-outstanding <clears throat> decision by Timmy to take the charge. And, and, and it was really a good call by the referees. And this is where you can appreciate the referees doing their, doing their job in a proper fashion. So everything was set up for the overtime. And then in the overtime, Gonzaga ran out to a 5-0 start. You thought maybe they had control of the game. But once again, J.J., here's Johnny for UCLA, was not going to let his team falter. And he got them right back into this game. And then in the closing seconds of overtime, he had a shot. He missed it, got the follow-up. And tie the game up at 90. And then we had the theatrics of what happened in the closing seconds from Jalen Suggs, as you just heard. Unbelievable outcome. Unbelievable game. It will go down as one of the best semifinal games in NCAA history. No question about it. Unfortunately, like I said, on the other side of the bracket, Gonzaga was going to have to meet it with the second best team at we thought in the country, the Baylor Bears, as they steamrolled the Houston Cougars. Houston had a problem. They couldn't score. They're one of the better defending teams in the country. They really don't have the offense and those trio of guards for Baylor were just too much. They hit eight threes in the first half. That this that appeared to be the driving force for what set us up for what would happen on Monday night. As we go into Monday night, you had the two top teams from the from beginning to the end of the season, Baylor and Gonzaga. And Gonzaga coming in undefeated. Baylor coming in with two losses, but it didn't matter about what happened in the regular season. These two these two teams were supposed to meet in the regular season, but due to COVID, that game had to be postponed. Well, I think Gonzaga would have wished they had have gotten an opportunity to see that three-headed monster at Baylor, and that way they may have been a little bit more prepared going into championship Monday night. What happened to Gonzaga 
it was like a deer in the headlights. They had been playing so proficient. They had been playing so aware of the fact that they were playing for history. But it seems as though on Monday night when they took the court and the ball was tossed up for the tip off, it seemed like that all the pressure that everybody kept talking about and kept waiting to see happened to them. It's, it seems as though it, it came to a culmination on Monday because they were just so unsettled, so off track. And Baylor jumped out to a 9-0 lead and they never looked back. It was quickly a double-digit lead before Gonzaga could blink. And it continued to get worse. It was an avalanche of threes. They hit 11 threes in the first quarter. And they never looked back. They were able to at one point cut this lead to nine. And we thought maybe, you know, we may get that sensational ending. But Baylor had other thoughts in mind. And it just was not meant to be. And the Baylor Bears host up their first national championship, their first ever national championship, and their second appearance in the NCAA championship. 73 years they waited for this moment. 73 years. You heard me. 73 years they waited for this opportunity to return to the NCAA championship and it was well worth the wait as they are the victors and to the victors go the spoils and they were the ones that were host hoisting I'm sorry the national championship trophy let's say this there is no reason why anybody from Gonzaga should be hanging their head because those young men had a hell of a season those young men played inspired basketball. It's just that they ran into a buzzsaw in the Baylor Bears. The one thing about Baylor that we saw in this game that was revealed going up against Gonzaga was that they were just a more athletic and physical team. Although they may not have had the size in the middle because of Drew Timmy being 6'10", and their big man was, I think, their forward, their forward slash center was I think six seven six eight it was just their size their guards built like defensive backs they were just too physical bodying up going in and punishing Gonzaga on the boards 16 second chance rebounds 16 second chance rebounds you're never going to win a game when you allow 16 second chance rebounds. I don't care who you are. You're not going to be able to win a game like that. And that's where it started. If you watch this game and the first offensive opportunity for Baylor, they have four opportunities to get a basket. They missed shot after shot, but they kept getting the rebound. That should have been your clue early on that if Gonzaga was not able to get a hold of this that it was going to be a long night and that's what happened to them they were never able to corral Baylor on the boards and then their guards took over if it wasn't Mr. Teague it was Mr. Mitchell they just could not deal with the guards and the physicality that Baylor brought to 
the game. And it didn't help that even when Baylor took shots and some of them were contested, they just were on point. They were on radar status in regards to the shots that they were getting off. Baylor's three-hitted monster, led by Jared Butler, who was the MVP of our game on Monday night, Macy O.T., and of course, Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell looked like a little running back. He was a problem all night, not only offensively, but defensively as well. And although Jalen Suggs is as athletic as they come, he got in early foul trouble, picked up two quick fouls early on, had to sit for about seven minutes in the first half. And that appeared to take Gonzaga out of his rhythm without their top player on the floor. But not even his heroics, he ended up with 22 points in this game, were going to be enough to stop the buzzsaw that we saw with this Baylor basketball team. Coach Drew Bryce has done a remarkable job in restoring this Baylor basketball program. Remember, they had a scandal some years ago when a player was murdered by another player, by another teammate, and he resurrected this program. And the fruits of his labor have come to fruition as they capture, like I said, their first national championship. So we want to say congratulations to the Baylor Bears men on this triumphant victory. We also want to say congratulations to Gonzaga and Coach Mark Few because you have nothing to be ashamed of. Mark Few is one of the best coaches in college basketball. He has done a phenomenal job with his recruiting and with his coaching. And the recruitment of Jalen Suggs only puts Gonzaga further on the map because now they can get the type of players that you would see that would go to a Kentucky or Kansas or Carolina or Duke. They will now come to Gonzaga, a potential one-and-done player who Jalen Suggs is definitely going to be this season. You will be able to get those type of recruits now when you walk into a house coach mark few because they've seen your magic they've seen what you can do and gonzaga probably will get from the transfer portal walker kessler the uh, big man from north carolina who decided that he should be a stretch four and not a and not a pivot guy not a five he thinks he's a stretch four good luck with that at gonzaga i don't i don't know where he got that idea I never saw that potential from Walker Kessler. I think he could could really be a good player, but to think that he is a stretch four is a stretch of his a stretch of his imagination from my viewpoint. Um, he would have been a starter if he'd have returned to Carolina. They were going to lose some players. Deron Sharp was going to the pros. He was going to test his his merit at the pro level. You had Garrison Brooks who could come back, probably will graduate. Um, the only player they had coming back definitely, we think, was going to be Armando Baycock. So Walker Kessler was going to have a starting spot. But I guess now he will be taking his talent to um, the Pacific West Coast, and we'll see what happens there. But Mark Few, you are a great coach. Great run by the Gonzaga Bulldogs. 
and um, we'll see what the future holds. But it was not the game that we anticipated. The game that we anticipated, the game that we didn't anticipate was the game that we saw Saturday night. And so if you want to have one for the ages, that was the game on Saturday night. But this overall, for us to be here talking about Marsh Madness, still in the midst of a pandemic, all these players, all these coaches in the NCAA is, should be saluted for the efforts that they made to keep everybody safe, to try to keep everybody as healthy as possible, and for the organization of getting these games and these young men to this point for us to have this glorious tournament we just say thank you and we hope that everybody gets back home safely hope that everybody is well and again we just want to say what a wonderful wonderful tournament but we're going to flip to the other side of the coin and we're going to talk about the women's tournament as well because we told you that the men we knew the men it was going to be an interesting matchup But the matchup that we got on Sunday evening in the Women's Championship, we did not anticipate. We had the Stanford Cardinals and Hall of Fame coach Tara Vanderveer going against Arizona and their coach, Adia Barnes. Adia Barnes, I didn't know a whole lot about her coming into this tournament, but I tell you what, she has got to be on the radar for any major program that's looking for a coach that can get you turned around she did a remarkable job with the Arizona Wildcats and to get them to this championship not only get them to this championship folks but if you didn't watch the game you missed a heart stopper in this game constant battle Stanford jumped out early it looked like that maybe they might run away with this thing but Coach Adia Barnes kept her foot on the pedal, and these young ladies played great defense. And that's what they hang their hat on, their defense. And they did a hell of a job to get back in this game and right before halftime to gain some momentum as not only did they get back in the game, they actually took the lead for a brief moment a brief moment before the half. Second half, they found themselves down. They were down by six at the half, six or seven at the half found themselves down by double digits in the second half, only to find themselves coming back. And that comeback was led by, of course, their All-American shooting guard, Ari McDonald. This young lady will probably be a top five pick in the WNBA draft. I didn't know anything about her. Of course, like I said, I didn't know anything about the Arizona Wildcats women's program. But I know about her now. Left, left-handed, prolific score, prolific score. If you didn't see the championship game, go back and watch that game or go back and watch the semifinals game against Connecticut. She was their Michael Jordan. She put the team on her back. They really were offensively challenged. They really didn't have anybody else who could score the way she could score. She had a first half that was not one of her best, but when it counted in the second half, they put the ball in her hands and she went to work. At the end of this game, down one point, 
after they made a defensive stop. 54-53, they got the ball back and had it with an opportunity to win. I don't understand why her teammate, when she inbounds the ball, didn't come and set the pick. She went away. I guess guess she thought that her defender would go away with her. What her defender did, which was really smart, she took a step over in that direction, but she played the passing lane. And so basically she was still defending McDonald as she took the dribble towards the basket. They swarmed her defensively, Stanford did, with three defenders. Even with three defenders, she got a hell of a look. You would have thought that she would have no chance. But this young lady, when I tell you she can score with the best of them, she has a game like she's been playing with guys growing up because she has the heart of a lion. And she was in it to win it. She took the shot. It hit the back part of the rim and fell off the side. And everybody was holding their breath because they thought that we were going to see a magnificent ending to what had been a great, great performance by both of these teams. But unfortunately for the women of Arizona, the Wildcats, their chance in the sun would have to wait another season. But I'm going to tell you this. Coach Adia Barnes did a hell of a job. She has nothing to be ashamed of. Like I said, if there's any spotlight programs, any top 10 programs, Arizona, you better pony up because I'm going to tell you what, Adia Barnes' name is going to be on the list of athletic directors who are looking for a program changer. And she appears to be a coach that's on the rise as one who you're going to have to take a look at, not only as a program changer, but she made a difference in the lives of these players doing all this with COVID. And I just want to say this. We were hoping for history to be made to have two black coaches in a championship game. We've never seen that before, but I tell you what, let's just call her coach Barnes. Let's, let's take race out of this because she just coached her ass off. I'm just going to say that coach Vanderveer, we know is a hall of famer. It had been a long time coming. I think that last title for Stanford, I think was 2008. So she was well overdue for an opportunity to win a championship. So let's say congratulations to the lady Cardinals, but I just wanted to be outspoken and talk about the great job that coach Adia Barnes did with these lady Wildcats. Congratulations on your season. Congratulations on a valid effort to try to bring home a championship. We're going to take a small commercial break and then we're going to come back because we're going to stay in college basketball because we want to tell you about history being made and Then we're going to also jump into the NFL because we've got breaking news in the NFL. We appreciate you tuning in. This is Uptempo Sports 24-7. We'll be right back.
sunlight hurts my eyes Something without want of love Bears heavy on my mind all right, welcome back to Uptempo Sports 24-7 with your host, Coach P. And I just thought this was the appropriate song for this moment that we're going to discuss. Hubert Davis had to be singing this song yesterday when he woke up. And the announcement was made yesterday afternoon that he would become the successor to Hall of Fame coach Roy Williams who stepped down after 33 years in retirement and that Hubert Davis would be now the head man at the helm of the University of North Carolina's basketball program I thought this was a qualified choice Hubert Davis has been an assistant under Roy Williams for nine years of course we know he had a 12 year NBA career with the New York Knicks and the Dallas Mavericks, a sharp shooter from the three-point line, his uncle, the great Walter Davis, nicknamed the Greyhound, North Carolina alum himself, has to be proud to see his nephew come back to their alma mater and hopefully lead Carolina into the future and into future championships. He also has to be proud because Hubert Davis becomes the first black coach in the history of North Carolina basketball. If you know anything about North Carolina and the South, you know that integration took a while to happen. But the late great Dean Smith is the reason why Blacks started coming to North Carolina as black athletes because the first black athlete to play basketball at North Carolina was Dean Smith's first ever recruit for an African-American. His name, Charlie Scott. If you guys don't know who Charlie Scott is, go look him up. Charlie Scott, one of the greatest Tar Heels ever. In my mind, Charlie Scott, Dudley Bradley, of course, Phil Ford, the architect of the Four Corners, were some of the greatest Carolina players. Before there was Michael Jordan, these were the guys that were the foundational pieces for Coach Dean Smith. So, Hubert Davis, congratulations, sir. I hope that you will be given all the support that you need. I know the Carolina alum will give you the support that you need. I hope that the athletic department, the athletic director, and the president will be behind you. I'm sure that they will because they made sure that this decision was going to be made quickly. And part of that reason is because, of course, recruiting. They had to know who was going to be the successor to Roy Williams in order for future recruits and the current recruits to make a decision. So glad to know that they decided to stay in-house, which we all who follow Carolina basketball assume they would do. 
And I think this is a well-deserved opportunity for Hubert Davis. I think that he will do a fine job. I think because of his age, he's not too far. He's not too far away from what these young men that are coming in, their mindset will be. He's been a part of the recruiting trail. He's gone into these homes with Roy or on behalf of Roy and the program. So even though these players might not remember him as a player, they knew they know who he is as a coach that was on that bench beside Coach Roy Williams. So look forward to seeing what the future holds for North Carolina's basketball program now that it has new leadership from Hubert Davis. Once again, congratulations not only on the selection that was made, but also for history being made. That just shows you that we have come very far, even though sometimes it seems like we're taking two steps back. But this goes to show us that we are still trying to advance and that in some respects, things are changing and that change can be made and change can be seen. So congratulations to Hubert Davis. Congratulations to Roy Williams again for all you did for the North Carolina program. Best wishes to you in your retirement. Let's move forward. And also let's just uh, talk about you had the point guard from Illinois. Mr. Desumu, who is throwing his name into the draft party. He is leaving Illinois to further his career on a professional level to the NBA. I think that he will be a really good player in the NBA. I think him returning to school solidified him for this draft. I think he put the work in, you could tell, over the summer to improve his three-point shooting and to improve his game. So I think that he will have a really solid career in the NBA. So best wishes to him on the next level. We're going to stay in basketball, but we're going to go to the pros. And we're going to talk about the Brooklyn Nets. Because we still haven't seen KD back. There's rumors that KD may return as early as maybe tomorrow, which will be Wednesday. But folks... Even without Kevin Durant, James Harden and Kyrie Irving have been holding this team together. And it hasn't been barely, it's been impressive. James Harden now is on the mend. He was he had missed the last two games due to a slightly pulled hamstring. And then last night against the New York Knicks, he uh, strained it again. And so now it looks like that he may be out for 10 days. So James Harden goes to the shelf, but maybe they'll get the return of their other superstar and Kevin Durant. But it doesn't matter because you know why? Because they still have a guy by the name of Uncle Drew. Kyrie Irving. I've, I've been saying this forever. He is one of the most prolific scoring guards of our time. For a guard his size, what he does to put you in a spin cycle, what he does from the outside. He is a remarkable ball player. Put put aside whatever personal issues you may feel about him from what he does off the court, what he may say off the court, but when he is in that basketball arena, when he is in his workspace, he is phenomenal. 
He, there is no one like him. No one like him. I mean, some things I saw him do last night for his size is incredible. The way he attacks the basket, you would think someone of his size wouldn't be as strong. I saw him get into the body of Alfred Payton, who has to be at least three inches taller than Kyrie. He posted Alfred Payton up like Alfred Payton was a kid at the YMCA. And, I, and I'm not saying that to say that Alfred Payton can't play. I'm just saying, but he treated him like he was a little kid. And it was just ridiculous. He put him in a spin cycle. Alfred Payton had no answer. Kyrie Irving is just a phenomenal basketball player. Probably one of the best one-on-one basketball players that I've ever witnessed. He dropped 40 to keep the Brooklyn Nets on the on the on their winning ways as they outlasted the New York Knicks last night, 114 to 112. Brooklyn is going to be a problem come playoff time. Philadelphia just had the return of their superstar, Joel Embiid. It's going to be a hell of a battle come playoff time in the Eastern Conference. If the Philadelphia 76ers and the Brooklyn Nets meet up, it's going to be one hell of a series because the Nets are going to be a serious problem. And like I said, we still have not seen the three stars together yet. They've only been, we've only seen them play together. I think it's been six or seven games. So, you know, we're coming down the home stretch of the regular season. And May will be popping up here before we know it. And then we'll be ready for the playoffs. So we're hoping to see the return of these three players playing together all at one time and also encompassing um, LaMarcus Aldridge and um, and Mr. Blake together all on the court. So we'll wait to see for that, but I'm just going to say Kyrie Irving, he is a problem. If you are a defender, he is a nightmare. It's going to be, a, it's going to be an interesting playoff run for the Brooklyn Nets. That's all I'm going to say. We're going to leave, before we leave uh, the NBA, you know we're still waiting for the return of LeBron, and we told you about the injury that occurred uh, with the debut of Andre Drummond, so he's still out. And, of course, they're saying AD may be out for a little longer than they anticipated, so we're just going to have to wait and see how healthy the Lakers are going to be. They just made a move and signed Ben McLemore today. We'll see how that works. He has improved his three-point shooting, but don't get it twisted, folks. I saw something we were talking about, three-point specialist. He is not J.J. Redick, and I'm not trying to be offensive to his game because he's really athletic, but he's an improved three-point shooter, but he is not a pure three-point shooter. So let's not get him in the category of a Joe Harris or, or a J.J. Redick type of player because he's not that guy, but he will give them some athleticism coming off the bench and some three-point shooting as well. So we'll see how that works out. But I want to say that Kyle Kuzman has actually stepped his game up and played well here for the Lakers over the last few games. So they're going to need continue to need that if they want to sustain themselves while their big superstars, AD and LeBron, are still on the mend. Let's go and let's talk about the NBA. We told you that 
at some point, Sam Donald probably, although the Jets kept throwing out this smokescreen about the fact that they were still not sure if they would draft a quarterback or if they did draft a quarterback, if they would move Sam Donald or not. I don't understand why you even feel the need to come out and say anything as an organization. The draft is not until the end of the month. You have a window before you really have to really publicly say anything. So why say anything at all? We know that this time of year is the lying season. We know it's a game of chess and poker. We know that you're not going to reveal your hand, whomever you are, not just the Jets, but most organizations are not going to reveal themselves because they don't want to slip up and let somebody else know who they potentially may want to draft. We get it. We get the posturing. But this whole idea that you're going to draft a quarterback and keep Sam Donald, who just is about to turn 24, and you're drafting a quarterback who may be anywhere between the age of 19 to 21, it's no way. It's not like Sam Donald's a a, 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 a seasoned vet or, you know, like a, a Fitz Magic, a Fitzpatrick. You know, he's been in the league four years going on his fifth year so to say that you would keep him and then still draft a quarterback I was not believing that for one minute and the team that I thought that possibly would throw their hat into the circle for a trade for Sam Donald I thought would be the Washington football team we know that they signed um, Fitzmagic for one season so I thought that maybe they would bring in Fitzmagic for this season and then you go ahead and drink the trade for Sam Donald and have him compete with um, Fitzmagic. And if he somehow beat Fitzmagic out, then you know that you have your quarterback for the future. And if he didn't, you still have him to sit behind Fitzmagic for at least a year before you turn the car keys over to him. But that's now where we are going with this. We're going down to Carolina. The Carolina Panthers stepped up to the table and they're the ones who made the move to go get Sam Donald. In order to get Sam Donald out of New York, the Carolina Panthers had to give up a six-round pick this year, a fourth-round pick next year, and a second-round pick next year. Remember, Sam Donald was the number three pick in the draft in 2016. You give up a six-round pick. To me, that was really, really cheap. I mean, if I'm the Jets, I would have asked for at least a fourth-round pick. You might not have gotten a third, but I would have at least asked for a fourth. And I don't know if they did or not. But it just seems like I hear people saying, oh, Carolina gave up too much. Really? You're talking about a player who is just turning 24 and he's still on a rookie deal. With the fifth-year option coming up. And he's coming to an organization that it looks to to appear to be foundationally better than the organization that he left from. Offensively, at least, he's got more elite offensive skill players. He has two legitimate receivers in DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson. And then he has one of the premier running backs in all of the NFL in one Christian McCaffrey. If I'm Sam Donald, I'm singing it's a lovely day as well because you just got out of purgatory in Gotham City with the 
New York Jets, and now you go for some of that Southern hospitality down to Carolina. Now, I know Carolina was in on trying to get Matthew Stafford. I know that they really, really wanted Deshaun Watson. But with all the scandal that's circulating around Deshaun Watson right now, they couldn't wait any longer to pull the trigger. And they they knew that they wanted to move on from Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy Bridgewater is the consummate professional. We know that Teddy Bridgewater doesn't have a big arm. We know that Teddy Bridgewater, you need to have everything to be perfect for him. But Teddy Bridgewater is still a solid quarterback. But I understand why they made this move. If you're Carolina, you saw Teddy last year and you said to yourself, we definitely have to have an upgrade. Now, if it's any way in this predicament that you can keep someone like a Teddy Bridgewater with his leadership and moxie on your roster, then maybe they'll Carolina think about doing that. But what I respect from the organization is that they are allowing Teddy Bridgewater to shop himself, to give him an opportunity to latch on with another team with the possibility that he could be a starter somewhere else. That's how business should be conducted. It shouldn't always be about what management wants. It should be a situation where if you can, I'm not saying all the time, but I'm saying if you can, make it a salvageable situation for both the team and the player. So I respect what Carolina is doing. And I know that if they did bring Teddy back, they're going to try to bring him back at a lower number. But I think this this move to get Sam Donald, I think this was an excellent choice. Coach Matt Rule apparently had a relationship with Sam Donald. They seem to be on the same page. Um, I think the change of scenery is going to be a breath of fresh air for Sam Donald. I like Matt Rule as a coach. I like Joe Brady as an offensive coordinator. You saw what he could work up when he was at LSU with Joe Burrow. And they do have pieces here for Sam to work with. So I think that this should be a good marriage. We're going to find out how quickly that Sam Donald can assimilate himself to Carolina and to this system. But he has two coaches that believe in him, apparently. And so I know they look forward to putting him in their system, utilizing his athleticism. What Sam Donald's going to have to do is cut down on his turnovers and not make as many mistakes as he's made in the past trying to do it all. And, you know, in his defense, he never had any weaponry in New York. He never had any pieces around him to be the quarterback that he should have been when he was drafted out of USC as the number three pick. So this should be a more credible situation for him to maneuver in. It should give him the opportunity, hopefully, to reach the potential that the Jets thought he would be when they drafted him. Unfortunately, the Jets did not put pieces together to make his journey better. So we wish Sam Donald the best of luck. I want to say something about all these mock drafts that you take a look at. I know that it's fillers right now because it's still we still have today is April 6th. So we still have 23 days. We're 23 days out of the NFL draft. So you have everybody that's still trying to put mock drafts together, mock draft 3.0, mock draft 4.0. No one really knows what anyone's going to do except for at picks number one and pick number two. 
we know two quarterbacks are going to go. Jacksonville is going to take Trevor Lawrence and the Jets are going to take Zach Wilson. Those are guaranteed. Those are locks. When the season ended and we started talking about the draft, when we got the draft order, we thought Cincinnati was a lock to take an offensive tackle to protect Joe Burrow. Now we're hearing that Cincinnati may wait until the second round because they'll have the top pick at the top of the second round. But with that first pick at number five, they may take an offensive weapon, whether that be Jamar Chase reuniting with his quarterback or the sensational tight end from Florida, Kyle Pitts. But the one thing I keep hearing about, and it keeps, and I'm so befuddled by it, is that you keep hearing these rumors that San Francisco, who gave up all this draft collateral to move up to number three, that they're going to go and take Mac Jones. I don't have anything against Mac Jones. I don't know Mac Jones. I know what my eyes tell me. And I know that Mac Jones played in a system at Alabama that provided him with a wealth of treasure. He had a treasure trove of the best talent in collegiate football. I'm not saying that Justin Fields didn't have those same options at Ohio State. But what I am going to say is this. You put those two guys together athletically, and it's Justin Fields running circles around Mac Jones. From a throwing standpoint, maybe Mac Jones is a little bit more accurate than Justin Fields. I've seen Justin Fields. I heard something today where they said with Justin Fields in big games, he hasn't shined. Well, yeah, he played against Northwestern this year in the COVID season, and no, he did not play well. I will say that. But I saw Justin Fields in a COVID season play against Clemson, who we all thought was probably the second best team in the country behind Alabama, and he dismantled Clemson's defense. That same guy last year, or I should say the year before, when they played in the semifinal game, he had a hell of a game in that game against Clemson. And time just ran out on him in the end. So this whole idea that he has not stepped up in big games, I don't, I don't know where this is coming from. I've seen Justin Fields, and I think that he is ready-made for the NFL. All these quarterbacks, I don't care who you select, they're all going to have to be retrained from some of the mistakes that they made when they were on the collegiate level. It's like with any job. I don't care if you, are, if you have the skill set or the qualifications for, job, for a job. You have to be retrained in the system for the job that you're going into. Because although you may have done the job somewhere else, you're going to a new place and it, they're going to want you to fit into the design that, in which they do it. And the same applies to sports. They will make concessions for you based on your talent, but at the end of the day, they still are going to have to train you on what they want you to do in their system. So whether it's Justin Fields, whether it's Mac Jones, Trey Lance, Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence, these all, these quarterbacks, all of them are going to have a new learning curve. So I'm not sitting here telling you that Mac Jones is going to be terrible in the NFL. By no means am I going to say that. 
because none of us knows really and truly how any of these players are going to pan out. All I'm saying is that if you're telling me as an evaluator of talent, just talent, forget position, but just pure talent, you're telling me that you maneuvered draft capital to go from the number 12 pick up to number three to go get Mac Jones. If that's what you're telling me, because you think that Mac Jones is the second coming of the Atlanta Falcons quarterback, Matt Ryan. If you truly believe that, then I wish you all the best. But if you're telling me that you prefer Mac Jones over the potential of a Trey Lance and a Justin Field, I I know you can't see me because I'm on the mic, but I'm here shaking my head because there's no way in this world that I'm taking Mac Jones over either one of those two young men. I remember years and years ago, the Jets drafted Mr. Pennington from Marshall, the quarterback. Great mind. Great mind. He didn't have all the athleticism that you want. Didn't have the strong arm necessarily. But he was such an intelligent quarterback. Chad Pennington. I'm not I don't know if Mac Jones has those extra levels in him. I like Chad Pennington. I mean it, he didn't have all the best talent with the Jets, but Chad Pennington was a baller. I saw him ball at Marshall. He was a baller. And again, I don't want to sit here and and say that Mac Jones can't be successful on the next level. But I'm not taking a guy like a Mac Jones if I moved up from number 12 to number three. If you're telling me that you think this guy is Joe Montana-like, Tom Brady-like, you you think he has that type of potential, and you're going to roll the dice on that, I wish you all the best. But let's just get this straight. You pass up the opportunity to take a quarterback that you know in a system that Kyle Shanahan runs where he wants to move the pocket, where he wants to move the pocket, and you have two elite athletes at the quarterback position, and you're telling me you're going to bypass both of those guys for Mac Jones. I I can't wait to see the draft because all these draft pundits keep saying, Oh, yeah, he's definitely Adam Schefter. Yeah, they're def- San Francisco's definitely taking Mac Jones. And I'm sitting here shaking my head like, okay, I'm not saying that Adam Schefter is not correct because usually he's on point. But I'm just saying to myself, if you take Mac Jones after moving from number 12 to number three and you leave Justin Fields and Trey Lance on the board, I personally believe that you're going to regret it the same way that Chicago regretted taking Mitchell Trubisky and leaving Deshaun Watson 
and Patrick Mahomes on the board, I think you're going to have buyer's remorse with that selection of Mac Jones. Prove me wrong. I don't have a problem being wrong. I just don't see Mac Jones being that type of quarterback on the level in the NFL. I just don't see it. And again, a lot of draft capital was used to go get to that third spot. So to me, if I'm moving all the way up to that spot, I'm getting what I feel is an impactful player, whether it's a quarterback, offensive tackle, defense alignment, cornerback. That's what I'm drafting for. And I just believe that if San Francisco makes that move and they draft Mac Jones, I think that they're going to be very, very disappointed thinking that that young man is going to be the next coming of Matt Ryan or Mr. Schaub from Houston. I think they're going to be disappointed. I don't think that kid has that type of potential to do the things that Kyle Shanahan likes to do with his offense. Look at Jared Goff. The Rams moved off of Jared Goff because Sean McVay, he wanted his quarterback to be able to move. Goff is not a statue per se. He can move a little bit. And I think that's the same way with Mac Jones. I don't think Mac Jones' arm is not bad, but it's not Trey Lance or Justin Fields good. So I I just think that sometimes you can overthink or outthink yourself in these situations because you have so much time on your hand. The same the, the same way these guys keep going over and over with these mock drafts. And now, you know, you've got trades that have already been made and now they're talking about people and their positions that they're going to be in. I think that's the same way that is happening with these teams. I think you're going to I think you out you try to outguess yourself because you're trying to keep the teams in front of you or behind you guessing about who you're going to take just take the player that you think can be impactful for your program i think justin fields or trey lance is going to be impactful i honestly because of the way the the way that he ran a system at north dakota state with all the check with me's and all the things that he had to do being responsible when it came to game time in regards to calling out the coverages and 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 everything and the protections. I think Trey Lance would be perfect for a Kyle Shanahan system. I know he may be a little raw. He may not didn't play against division one level competition like against your Ohio States and your uh Michigans and your Penn States and your Alabamas. But Carson Wentz did come from the same school. He has had an up-and-down career, part of that because of injuries, not because he doesn't have the talent, but because of injuries and because of his mental stability, because of the fact that he appears to be somebody that needs to be coddled just a little bit. Um, I don't know anything about Trey Lance from that standpoint, but that young man has the size, the appears from all things that have been said, the mental capability to handle the load that would be expected of a quarterback in a Kyle Shanahan offense. But let me sit back and watch. I love the draft. I love the NBA draft, and I love the NFL draft. And I just think that sometimes, like I said, I think a lot of these teams just overthink the process. Just like I keep hearing about 
the team that I root for, the Cowboys, that now they're talking about they may take a defensive end at number 10. Even if there's a corner on the on a cornerback on the board. I don't see that happening. Not at all. I don't see that happening. They may not get their first choice at corner because now that Carolina is out of the quarterback market and they need an offensive tackle or a cornerback. Unless they trade out of their A spot, they may be looking at somebody with the skill set of a Patrick Sertan to play in their defense. Um, Denver, I think, is going to move from that ninth spot to try to go up to get a quarterback. We know that Atlanta is listening to offers for that number four pick. And I keep hearing stories about Atlanta saying that if they that if Atlanta keeps that pick, they're saying that Atlanta may take Kyle Pitts or they may take a quarterback. I don't think that Matt Ryan is in the same situation that Big Ben is in Pittsburgh. We've saw Big Ben deteriorating over the last year and a half, two years. We haven't seen that from Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan is still slinging it. The problem with Matt Ryan is is that he doesn't have the offensive line that he needs down there. And defensively, they couldn't stop a cold. So why would you not give Matt Ryan at least a a guard or a tackle to protect him instead of going to get more offensive weapons. You still have Julio and you still have Calvin Ridley. And you have Hayden Hurst, who's a good tight end. He might not be Kyle Pitts. Now I know that, but I don't think that Kyle Pitts is what you need right now. I think that you need to build the foundation in front of Matt Ryan, who's an older quarterback, who is a less mobile quarterback. So why not protect him and make everything easier for him to be able to have more longevity in his career? Because you got to pay him and you're paying him a king's ransom. So why would you not want to protect that commodity? That's my only question with Atlanta. My thing is at four, if you trade out of that, get more picks, get a, you know, you're going to move back, but get a, a, a second round pick for this coming draft or a third-round pick, or a couple of second-round picks, you know, at number four. You can you can really help yourself by adding on picks as opposed to just getting one player because one player for you at this particular point is not going to be a game-changer. You need something for the future. You need picks for the future that are going to solidify your franchise going forward, not only for the health of Matt Ryan, but whoever will come in and, su- and supplement him at quarterback when he retires. Denver, Mark Sheriff, the offensive um, guard, Super Bowl winning player for Denver, was on my man Colin Cowherd's show today, and he said he doesn't see Denver giving up collateral to go get a quarterback at number four. By all indications, they're not happy with their quarterback situation. So why would they not try to solidify the most important position in the NFL? We don't see Denver being a threat to Kansas City or even the Chargers in their division. But you can go ahead and at least get your quarterback because John Elway's been looking for a quarterback since Peyton Manning retired. So you can at least, if you think there's a quarterback there that you can build around, why not go get that quarterback? That only makes sense. So we'll see. It's going to be a lot of intrigue coming up with the draft. I'm always amazed by some of these teams and their their logic for making these picks. 
I'm just hoping my my the team that I root for is going to do something significant in this draft because they've done next to nothing, in my opinion, in free agency. There's still some comparable players that they could use. Daquan Jones from the Tennessee Titans at defensive tackle. K.J. Wright, outstanding linebacker from the Seattle Seahawks. Casey Hayward from the Chargers at corner. There's still some viable pieces out there that I don't understand why they restructured contracts if they weren't going to go after and try to sign players. So I'm befuddled by the Cowboys and what they're not doing. And we'll see what happens with this draft. It's going to be a lot of intrigue at the top portion of this draft. I st- like I said, I still think that there'll be, if there are no trades made before this draft, they would definitely be trades made on draft night. So we look forward to what's going to happen in the next few weeks with the NFL draft. College basketball season is over. You'll see more players declaring for the draft. And we're on the cups of getting ready for the NBA playoffs, which should be fantastic in both the Western Conference and the Eastern Conference this year. So we want to thank you for tuning in to Uptempo Sports. We appreciate you stopping by, listening to us. Remember, you can catch us on all your social media platforms, at least by at least Google, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and let your friends know to tune in. We appreciate any remarks you want to leave out there, any suggestions you want to leave for topics maybe that you want us to talk about that we have not covered. But for the most part, we try to bring you sports the way sports needs to be bought. 100% with no, no cachet. So with that, as I always say before I depart from here, it's always same bat time, same bat channel. Until the next episode, peace.